All right, welcome to the FF Shrinks Podcast. We are your hosts, Nick Morrow and John Rampersad. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nick FF Shrinks and at John FF Shrinks. Today we got a great show, so let's get this therapy session started. And it's Wednesday, August 8th, 2018. You know what that means? It just means one more day. Just one more day until we can get the official kicking off of preseason football. Man, I am excited for that, John. Now, I don't know about you, John, but for me, I think the best part about preseason football when it comes to fantasy is that we spend so much time making these rankings, doing our offseason research. Preseason is like the last chance that we really get to kind of either validate our, some of our ideas or even just open our eyes to some ideas we had just outright disregarded altogether. Like one of the best examples I can think of was last year's preseason. Still remember the game. It was the third game. I forgot who the Niners were playing, but, you know, first year that Kyle Shanahan's coming in as the head coach, and I was already kind of bullish on Carlos Hyde just from previous seasons, but I remember him. He was either split out wide or he was working from the backfield, but I know he ran like an arrow route right in the middle of the defense. Brian Hoyer hit him clean on the pass. It was either like a 15, 20-yard gain or a touchdown. It was like at that moment right there, I knew that, hey, Kyle Shanahan is going to use Carlos Hyde in the exact same way that he used Devontae Freeman, who at that point in time had just finished being the RB6 and then the RB1 the previous year before in um, point-by-reception formats. So I was like, okay. I immediately know that Carlos Hyde is at bare minimum going to be top 15, maybe even top 12 running back in the same kind of point-by-reception formats. That was all preseason just validating some ideas. So that's just one of the reasons why I'm just really looking forward to tomorrow, even if it's just small sample size, but just something to get things kicked off. What about you, John? What is your favorite preseason memory that you can recall for scouting purposes in the recent years? Yeah, my favorite memory in recent history, I guess probably just this past year, uh, with Leonard Fournette. I was kind of glad that they were keeping him healthy and they weren't really using him. So I really watched, all we had really to watch was that one uh, Patriots preseason game. And I guess I was kind of happy that he didn't do anything crazy and bust out any big runs, but he just definitely looked the part and looked like he knew what he was doing. And he was going to be someone like knowing what the Jaguars want to do with their offense, that'd be valuable. So I went with him in a lot of leagues. But actually, I think the biggest thing to remember in preseason is don't get too overhyped with things you hear. I, I've fallen victim to that the last couple play, years with a couple players like uh, two years ago with Allen Robinson, him and Bortles were just lighting it up in preseason. I was like, oh, there's going to be so many bombs. We saw how that worked out. Last year with the combination of hard knocks, too, we saw how Doug Martin was looking really good and looked like he was working really hard. So I know in some leagues, too, I kind of got him late and tried to bank on him as being his RB2 when he came back. So the biggest thing, I think, is just to look at preseason to kind of reinforce, like, oh, you know, this offensive line does look like it's garbage. Or, okay, uh, man, let me, you know, make sure people are meshing and stuff like that. So I think that's the biggest thing you got to take out of preseason. So I'm really excited for that to start. Yeah, no, I think I 100% agree with you, John, because I'm 100% like one of those people where I'm just so excited for football that even the smallest thing is like, oh, oh my gosh, that was like super amazing. I need to like make sure I remember that. Um, I think the thing I fell prey to last year was like, were the Carlos Hyde, um, analysis like my high point i was one of the people that fell into the amir abdullah trap 
where I still, it's one of those things I don't remember the game, but I remember specifically where Amir Dew was in the backfield, but then they actually split him out wide to wide receiver. And it wasn't like one of those things where he just ran off something where he actually ran a route and Stafford like hit him on that route. And I was just seeing those like, holy crap. Amir Abdullah is going to be like using more of a Le'Veon role, not like to the same degree, but they're going to actually split him out wide. He's going to be a very involved in the receiving game. I'm thinking this guy is going to maybe have like 1,200 yards from scrimmage. So I got super high on Amir Abdullah, and we all remember how that turned out. So main rule of thumb is, yeah, I definitely agree with John. It's like you use preseason to try to like validate some things, but don't fall in love with every little thing you see. Still use like some bits of common sense when they come about. Exactly. All right, well, with that down, now we're about to jump into this week's fantasy newsreel. We're going to probably take a look at some of the top storylines over the last like four or five days and really just d- d- dive deep and give our analysis of it. So, first one up on the board that I remember came up today was the whole fun thing about Alex Smith apparently loves Darius Geis, and he has been on record multiple times just talking about how he just does not see any real weakness in Darius's guys' game. So, John, I know you probably got on Darius guys a little bit before I did. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, as the preseason or the pre-camp process has been going on, I've been starting to like guys more and more. Um, this in particular, I don't see it as anything major. It's just Alex Smith, you know, reinforcing uh, the quarter, I mean, the running back on his team. So I mean, he's not going to come out there and say, yeah, you know, he's really weak in the, you know, pass protection or something like that and probably doesn't want to expose that. That's not really for him to say. But that being said, based on the other backs that they have there and the other recent news that's come up by guys, I am high on him, and I think he's going to get a big workload. And even Chris Thompson has come out and said he's not fully healthy yet. And I know uh, guys have been practicing catching the ball and doing some more stuff like that and trying to add that to his game. So I think he might even get some more opportunities than people are thinking. So he's one of those guys I'm actually targeting in a lot of leagues, especially because some people, you know, they're like, well, you know, he's not going to get any – receptions he's not gonna get third down because of chris thompson i don't know if that's gonna actually be the case so he's someone that i can see you know in a standard draft you know grabbing him around third round and you don't even have to do that if you have someone else you like you know there's chances that he's slipping in the fourth so we'll see if he has a big preseason game that could obviously change and his adp can start jumping up but this is something i do like to hear and in combination with all the other reports we're hearing i think guys is uh, one of the biggest risers right now. Yeah, I think for me, when it, when I first saw that, I just initially took it as like, okay, just another like preseason hype. But I was like, you know, this is also coming from Alex Smith, who tends not to speak out too much. And I feel, and then I start combining this with the fact, I think, yeah, the Redskins just love Darius guys, especially for the fact that they've had issues at the running game. So I think this is just further fuel into the narrative that I think is going to become a true fact that Darius guys is just going to just may end up becoming just a monster. Um, I really started to get really high on him. I feel like every year you end up having like that third round pick that ends up being a just an explosive player. Like last year, Cream Hunt, when he's when his ADP started coming up to the third round, he was winning people's fantasy leagues. I know like the year before that, Mike Evans was like a third round pick um, based off ADP, and he was winning people's fantasy leagues. And I remember when DeAndre Hopkins had his coming out party, he was also taking around the third round. So there always seems to be this one player around that ADP where that's right where guys says about like the 307, 309 pick for a lot of leagues. And it's, he's starting to shape up where he could be that explosive talent. We'll see how preseason looks to see if he even like start. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. That comparison you made was great. I would not be surprised at all if he is that 
you know, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, you know, does what they did in those years. So uh, I like that point. Mm -hmm. All right. So moving on from Darius, guys, the next one I found, I don't know why, maybe it's just me as an Eagles fan. I just find this like super like hilarious. It's not like the worst thing in the world. I know um, when everyone's at training camp out today, the NFL Network was interviewing Dak Prescott about pretty much who's been his go-to receiver that he's developed so far, which he really doesn't have any. So there's only one answer he could actually give. And for this one, it's Cole Beasley. Like in Dax Prescott's mind, he's talking about how he has the ability to stretch the field and that he actually has like a decent chemistry. And at first it was like one of those things where I'm like, okay, I mean, that's the obvious answer. You really ha don't have a chance to develop chemistry with anyone else. Like all your other receivers, like Alan Hearns, he still hasn't really been on practice much due to this injury. But then when I look, went back and looked at the numbers, when Dak first came in as a rookie back in um, 2016, Cole Beasley actually had 75 catches for like 800 yards and five touchdowns. And I remember that year where, especially later on in the season, Cole Beasley started becoming a pretty decent spot start for fantasy. I don't think it's outside the realm of reason for him to maybe be like a poor man's Jarvis Landry from last year, where if he had 75 catches and 800 yards with um, Des Bryant and Jason Witten being there, now that they're gone and probably subpar talent has replaced them, those no I can see those numbers bumping up to maybe 90 catches, 900 yards, maybe still five, six, seven touchdowns. And then, yeah, you're looking at what Jarvis Landry did last year in Miami. And in, even though last year for receiving, it was on a really down year. So that made Jarvis Landry like a like a wide receiver one I, or like low end wide, like low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two. I can see Cole Beasley starting to fall in. Hot. Best case scenario wide receiver like probably but low end wide receiver two most likely scenario he may just be like wide receiver three but like a respectable flex start we can do every week every week oh yeah um yeah like you said he hasn't had much time to you know work with other receivers they're new i haven't really heard much hype out of camp with Gallup. uh he said hearns is banged up as he always is so you know that is kind of like a security blanket for dak and after dak had that you know off year last year, and he didn't have Zeke in the second half. Um, Cole Beasley could be someone he you can rely on. And initially, when I was doing like my top fifty rankings for wide receivers, he wasn't a name that even remotely popped into my head. But when you hear this, you got to think you know he will be, you know, get those ten yard receptions and rack up you know certain amount of points a game, uh, just based on the catches if it's a, any sort of PPR format. So you know if you're in a league that has two flexes or you start three wide receivers. Um, you're not going to love it, but on certain weeks, Cole Beasley probably can be someone you can throw into your lineup. And I do, I mean, I'm not going to be surprised if he does settle into that wide receiver three range by the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you on that one. It is going to be interesting just to see how the Dallas offense starts working out because, you know, all the reports coming out from training camp is, all right, they're struggling to move the ball. Dak has gone like multiple practices without throwing a touchdown. And those are just training camp stuff. I doubt their offense is going to be that porous through the regular season, but it is something to keep an eye on just because I could see them having a lot of struggles. So I'm interested to see how preseason works that out. All right, moving on from that one. Next big story that, that also probably came out in the last couple of days is the Cardinals seem to be raving about Sam Bradford. Pretty much anyone that has a chance on the Cardinals team has been talking about how much they love Sam Bradford. They're talking about his football IQ, how much he actually reminds them of like that veteran presence, like Larry Fitzgerald likened him to his time with Kurt Warner when it comes to his anticipation with the football and being able to dissect the playbook. It's one of those things that like, we've heard all this stuff before. The narrative of Sam Bradford is like, we know he's a really good NFL quarterback. 
but the dude is just made out of glass. You're not going to get that many games out of him. And that just makes him like just be buried down in everyone's rankings. But I don't know, John. Maybe it's just me and I'm being crazy. But I think like everyone is so against Sam Bradford staying healthy. Josh Rosen's there just itching to take his job. Uh, maybe I'm just being crazy, but I, this may be the year. This may be the year where we could actually expect Sam Bradford to stay healthy a decent amount of time. He's still going to get hurt at some point in time. But he may stay healthy long enough in order to put together a decent fantasy campaign and be a great sleeper quarterback for us this year. Yeah, I mean, my strategy is always to stream. So if Sam Bradford has a, early on in the season has a favorable matchup, I will, you know, I won't think twice about picking him up and starting him. Like, like the the report that came out said that he's been so accurate and very good. Uh, I mean, Sam Bradford's always been an accurate quarterback. That's always been one of his strong suits. The issue is in recent years is the injuries, and even last year when he's playing, and then or the year before, whenever he got into the game. For most of the games, he looked good. Once he started getting banged up with injury, things start going downhill. So he's not someone that I'm going to invest any sort of draft capital in. But if he, if you know, it's a couple weeks in the season, he's still healthy. Not only will he be a good streamer, but he's going to elevate the rest of the Cardinals around him. It's going to be great for David Johnson. It's going to be good for Larry Fitzgerald. Um, tight, Rick, Ricky Seal Jones is that tight end, the go-to tight end there. Um, or whoever else emerges as starting across from Fitzgerald after uh, preseason's done. So those guys will be usable. So if you're in like a deep league, you know, things, you could get a, a discount on some of these Cardinals. And uh, just on top of that, hopefully he can stay healthy enough where maybe Josh Rosen will go to learn enough. So whenever he does inevitably get hurt, there won't be such a drop off. And if you do have Cardinals and they start to do well to be in the season, they might be someone you might think of trading at their top value so that you don't even have to worry or think about uh, what could happen once he gets hurt. Yeah, I don't think I could have said it better myself. Uh, healthy Sam Bradford, even Josh Rosen, they're going to elevate all the Cardinals' values. I think I'm starting to get more, just more, a little bit more bullish on the idea that Sam Bradford can stay healthy for a consistent amount of time. I'm just thinking, just give me six games straight. That's going to give enough to really push up where David Johnson could maybe make another um, push to being like the number one running back again. Larry Fitzgerald may have like one of his best seasons. Because even last year, he finished as the wide receiver seven, and that was with. Carson Palmer still being out and him having to deal with all these other like pretty mediocre playing quarterbacks. So if he gets a decent year of Sam Bradford, that can really help push him up. I'm really on board with a lot more Cardinals players this year than I thought I was going to be. And next note on the docket, Colts have announced that quarterback Andrew Luck is going to actually start the preseason game Thursday against the Seattle and probably end up playing for one quarter. I mean, Great for all Andrew Luck fans out there. Um, thank God he's going to be back in football. I hate seeing talents like that just go a whole entire year without being on a play. For fantasy-wise, I think this is the beginning. I've been probably saying this like all offseason. Andrew Luck's ADP is going to start skyrocketing um, during this preseason. Once people can actually see that, hey, he's actually healthy. He's actually good. looks like he's coming in a little bit healthier. The recency bias from him not playing the last year and a half is going to start fading away. And I think we've already seen in our rankings, like Andrew Luck's going to end up being like a top five quarterback off the draft because people are going to start realizing that, hey, we can get this man for a discount. And what that's going to do is going to bump up values like T.Y. Hilton, who was like a should have been a second round pick in last year's ADP, early third, who's been going in late third, fourth round drafts. I can see his ADP going up as well. So especially for me personally, for some of mine, the earliest I'm willing to take a quarterback, because I do tend to want to wait, is probably Sam Bradford. We are looking at like maybe 
sixth round, fifth round at the earliest, depending on your league, if you really know that someone's going to like price jump up and take him. Because the last time we saw him play, he's still a top five quarterback, threw for 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns. And even the year before that, he still had that campaign where he can drop 40 touchdowns a year. So when it comes down to it, it's like him, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson. Those are probably the most explosive quarterbacks that you really have out there right now in fantasy. So I'm all on board on Kings of Andrew Luck this year. And this is just the first step of that. Yeah, I know it is good to see that Andrew Luck is going to be playing the preseason, that he's going to show everyone he's throwing. He can prove to himself that he's healthy. He can take contact. Um, I'm fully, you know, after that season off that he took to recover, I definitely believe that he is ready to go, which is why when I made my first round of rankings um, for this year before even knowing anything, I already put Luck up at third, and I still have him there for quarterbacks. Uh, that's why I kind of always like doing a league, like a money league or something, find something online or something like that, that you draft before preseason because it's, it's funny to see what, 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 what hypes go on during the preseason and affect values. And there's also certain things that you're going to get massive steals because some places, uh, people's ADPs are going to skyrocket. So Andrew Luck, I saw was going in like the 10th round or something like that. He's 100% going to start shooting up into that, you know, fifth, sixth round range. And I, I don't like to take quarterbacks that early. But uh, if he does slip further than that or even in that range, just depending how the draft is flowing, uh, I think it's a good draft pick because, like I said, I think he's going to be the third quarterback overall. This is good that we're going to see him play. It's going to elevate T.Y. T.Y. is going to probably start going in like the end of the second, early third. Um, the Colts should be back to they, – they won't look at the same old Colts since they're running a new offense now, but uh, they'll, they'll be able to move the ball. Lux and uh, exceptional talent, and uh, things should go well for the Colts offense this year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, so let's move on to pretty much the anti-Andrew Luck story and Carson Wentz. NBC Sports of Philadelphia expects Carson Wentz to be held out the entire preseason. As an Eagles fan, this kind of breaks my heart, but something that's to be expected. We started seeing the writing on the wall when you started being held out, like of all these later, like trading camp practices or against 11-11s. For this, and fantasy purposes, uh, this makes me really muddled on Carson Wentz. It's like he, the dude has like way too many question marks, even for me being a fan. It's like, one, you had the ridiculous touchdown rate last year. Because I think when everyone looks at Carson Wentz, they remember the 33 touchdowns. When week 14, by the time he got hurt, it wasn't like he was tossing like for even a ton of yards. He was still like at 32, 3,300 yards total um, at that time. So between 3,300 yards and 33 touchdowns, like his touchdown efficiency was ridiculous. It wasn't like at that same tier as the Deshaun Watson level, but it was up there where... And just in NFL history, Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson that last year were on higher tiers than most other quarterbacks have ever been. And typically history does say that you're going to experience a regression. So he's already dodged you an experience a regression. Plus coming off an ACL where he's not even going to be able to get fully in the rhythm of preseason like Andrew Luck's going to get. You're looking at a situation where I'm thinking Carson Wentz could start out really slow out of the gate. The Eagles relying on a much, like probably relying more so on the running game. So great boost for Jay Ajayi in the first few weeks, but it makes, this is just more evidence to make me really hesitant on Carson Wentz. And for anyone that does want to draft him, I would suggest having a really good backup option at quarterback, whether you want to go the Nick Foles route and hold on to him just in case Wentz sits out a week or two, or maybe getting like a later quarterback, you can go with like a Sam Bradford and riding him until he gets hurt and then plugging in wins. What do you think, John? Yeah, I always hate holding more than one quarterback, especially when, 
it's a league with like a limited bench. But uh, I think this is good for Sam Bradford and fantasy when it comes to being on any of my teams because I know they're being cautious. His, his tear happened late in the season, so he's a little bit behind the schedule. But Wentz, is, he's still a top quarterback. He's very good. He's obviously not going to do what happened last year. Like you said, with him and Deshaun Watson, that pace was, you know, not even, it was above Hall of Fame levels. It, it, you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning's couldn't uh, throw at levels like that, especially on a consistent basis. So we definitely can't expect that. But I do think now if Carson Wentz, because most people probably draft between preseason week three and Labor Day. So at that time, if you haven't seen luck, on, I mean, if you haven't had luck, talking about injuries, if you haven't seen uh, Wentz play by then, he's going to start dropping to where he, like the 12th, 11th, 13th, you know, quarterback off the board in that range. And in that range where, you know, that usually goes in drafts, what, after the 10th round, it might be worth holding on to a second quarterback or if he is going to play week one or, you know, that's to be determined after preseason week four, you pick him up. If he is able to go start week one, go ahead, put him in the lineup uh, right away. And, or if not, you know, pick up a streamer for that week. So this is actually making me more favorable to draft wins because he will fall down so much. And uh, without injury, I mean, he can easily be a top five quarterback. And if not that, he's going to be top 10 if he's fully healthy. So he's not finishing with the, you know, 33 touchdowns, but, uh, you know, he's a great quarterback. And uh, if he slips and we're not hearing anything too horrible uh, when it comes to draft time, then, yeah, I'll be I'll be open to drafting him at his new ADP. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's really all about the ADP that you're looking at for Carson Wentz. Yeah. I feel like no matter what, the thing, the thing that really gets to me is the fact that he may miss games. And even at that, like, third, fourth preseason week, we're, I don't think by then we actually will have a solid answer. The Eagles have been really coy about the whole entire process, and they're probably going to continue being coy about the whole process all the way up until the end. And that's one of the things, like, I'm with you. I would prefer not to hold two quarterbacks, and it's just going to make me really apprehensive as a drafter. But I'm like, all right, I'm going to draft him, but I don't know if he's still going to start week one, especially if they want to, like, hold it out into the very last second. So it's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on. But I think for me, it's just there's also so many other quarterback values that, yeah, you'd have to start going really late in the draft for me to want to even deal with the headache of it. And moving on from that one, next news and notes, the focus around Jordan Howard. Bears running back coach for Charles Linden says that Howard probably catches the two to 300 extra balls a day before and after practice, including during special teams. So hearing that, what was your initial knee-jerk reaction, John? I think that's great because I think they do want to involve Jordan Howard more in the passing game, especially with the new offense under uh, Matt Nagy. So this is good to hear, and I know they do have Tariq Cohen, but everyone just it's not that Tariq Cohen is going to be thrown in you know, every single third down. I don't think that's the hope for them. I think there will be extended periods of time where Jordan Howard could stay in for the whole drive or you know, pop out for a breather, pop back in. And I also think in that offense they might try to use uh, Tariq, uh, Tariq Cohen in different uh, – in different places on the field, maybe throw him out in the slot, throw him out wide, do different things with him where they're both on the field at the same time. So I know people got on to Jordan Howard for his catching ability the last couple of years, but that's great that he's been working on it. Um, you know, it might be, you know, just because he's practicing catching the ball so much right now in practice, it doesn't actually even mean that he's going to translate to catching balls in the game, but it is something good to hear. And, I mean, Jordan Howard, is he always, you know, turns out the yards. And in that system there, I think he's a good running back value. 
And uh, he'll be someone that I'm targeting at the right ADP in drafts, whether that's, you know, mid-second round, end-second round, if he slips into the third. Uh, you know, it depends on team construction, but he's someone that I definitely like. Now, they, so here's a question for you when it comes to Jordan Howard, John. In your opinion, because we've all, because that's been his thing, this like this knock about him and his catching ability these last few months with Tariq Cohen, even coming into last year, we were all worried about Tariq Cohen. How many catches would do you feel like Jordan Howard has to make to be a top five running back in comparison to others? Wow. To be top five, that's the thing. I mean, in, usually when I talk about fantasy, I just kind of assume like a 0.5 PPR. So if, if it's a format like that, he, he's going to have to get, a, you know, a decent amount of catches, I think, to break into that top five, whether that's, I don't even know, whether that's averaging three catches a game or if he's anywhere from the, you know, 20 to 30 range in catches. But the thing is, I feel like he even has a chance at doing that without catches. Even if he has minimal catches, he's involved in some of the third downs, even if that is Tariq Cohen. He's, he's a back that has continuously shown that he can pick up yards on the ground. Uh, the Bears have a decent offensive line. And he's, he's you know, even in PPR leagues, touchdowns are still important. And I think he'll be the guy that wants to get near the goal line who will be, um, who they'll be giving it to, to to punch the ball in. And he's scored touchdowns in the past. And now I think they'll have, you know, it's going to be Trubisky's second year, uh, a new offense with a better offensive mind. Um you know, that being said, I'm not the biggest Trubisky fan, but I think he'll be able to at least move the ball uh, a little bit better this year, and then they'll rely on Howard to move the chains and really just keep pounding away. So, uh, you know, he will have to get more catches than he's gotten in the past to become a top five back, but I do think it's it's possible to happen even with a even if he's averaging, you know, a couple catches a game. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the interesting thing that I was curious to get um, your knee-jerk reaction on that one is when looking back at just like what some of the top backs when it comes to their actual reception total, one, it's not like Jordan Howard never catches the football. I know um, last year is like he was on a down year with 23 catches for like 125 in his receiving yards. And then his rookie year in 2016, he had about 29 catches, I think for just shy of 300 yards. Yeah, 298 in his rookie year. So you're telling me that as a, his high right now, let's say is 30 catches, 300 yards. So with Patton, and those on a terrible, like, John Fox coach system where they're constantly in negative game scripts. So you're telling me that, okay, he gets Matt Nagy, and then he has ability to actually, inc- like, uptick his, like, catch volume, even if it's just a slight amount with him be- is becoming more of an important aspect of his game. Even Jordan Howard said to himself back in college, they didn't need to use him as a pass-catching back. So we never really focused on it. It wasn't until the NFL level he's actually put – more actual commitment into the catching game, which shows me he has a lot of upside. He's not going to turn into Le'Veon, but you give him maybe an extra 15 catches, suddenly he's at the 45 catch range, which was just about where you could see Melvin Gordon at his rookie year where he had like 40 catches. Because typically the top backs you're going to see around 50 plus catches, and Jordan Howard may just be right outside of that range. He may not be a top five, but I can definitely see him as like six, seven back. You're going to be getting him in like possibly anywhere in the second round, possibly early third, depending on how you're drafting. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying there, that the uh, the catch total would be lower than anything we've really seen in the recent years to, to finish in that you know top five. But I definitely think he's a lock as a tail end RB1. Uh, so he's definitely someone that you're not going to regret drafting on draft day. All right, let's see. No. 
Now, sexy as seeing Jordan Howard just trying to up his receiving game skills, the next thing that popped up is Mike Gusecki has apparently developed into Ryan Tannehill's favorite targets. For me, I loved hearing this kind of news because I remember seeing Mike Gusecki like all the way back, like during the NFL Combine, especially when they're starting to put on a lot of his like college draft, like I mean college draft highlight reels. The dude looks great. He's like he just seemed like he had the ability just to dominate, and when it comes like to the jump on, just make great athletic catches and the. A good tight end has been one of the things lacking from the Dolphins' offense for a long time. And I can see it's one of those things where everyone automatically pencils in, like Danny Amendola, to immediately kind of fill in for the Jarvis Landry role. Let's say, let's pretend Danny Amendola even stays healthy. Jarvis Landry was still averaging over 100 catches. I don't see Amendola suddenly becoming a 100 catch receiver. Now I can see him splitting that with Mike Isecki, and he can suddenly roll in there and end up being a really nice sleeper tight end that also doubles as a red zone threat where he could possibly take a lot of those like touchdown, like those easy touchdowns that um, Jarvis Landry started occurring like late last year. So I love this news, especially in a tight end market that once you hit like a certain point, in my mind, after like that Trey Burton, maybe taking a flyer on Jordan Reed, where the actual upside of them starts to plummet, Mike Gusecki might be someone where after a couple preseason games, he can start climbing in in that, low end um tight end one high end tight end two part yeah i would definitely agree that when it comes to the lower tier uh tight end dart throws that he probably does have a higher upside than a lot of the other guys that were talking about like the jack doyles or ebrons or austin Sperry jenkins and you know those are those are all people that for me i've always weighed on tight end and just try to stream and see what's going on maybe make some trades because early on in the draft i'm trying to get all the value i can at running back and wide receiver so I, I definitely do like Gusecki. I think Danny Amendola will take a good role, part of the role vacated by Jarvis. And I think, you know, they're, you know based on what I've heard from Cam too, that there's already some like, chemistry going between him and Tannehill. So I, I do think some of it will go there, and hopefully some of it goes to Devontae Parker because everyone we've been waiting for the breakout, and maybe it never happens. I know he's been having a poor camp too. But, uh, yeah, Gusecki could be someone I can I could definitely see getting more and more involved in the offense as the season goes on, and he could definitely become a fantasy asset. Um, you know, all the tight ends that came in from this draft, I think, have a, have a chance to contribute from a fantasy standpoint. So uh, he's definitely someone that, you know, where you're just literally just kind of picking out of a hat when it comes to the very end of your draft or someone to plug in for tight end. Um, I definitely like that take. All right, then. It looks like the last bit of news we're going to end up covering during the newsreel session is Isaiah Crowell is expected to be a big factor in the Jets' offense. Thank God someone is reporting this because I just, I don't know why. I've really just, I think we mentioned this a couple times to a couple different of our shows, but the hate on, it's like, it's not even like a hate on Isaiah Crowell. It's just like everyone just seems to forget that he existed and that we all loved him like a year ago. I think Isaiah Crowell really fits into that classic fantasy trope of we were probably a year too early i could see him having a classic year that was much similar to cg anderson this past year where cg anderson was not the prettiest running back no one really liked talking about owning him but he still ended up having about 1200 yards from scrimmage thousand yards rushing about 200 yards receiving and i think around like what he ended up about like four total touchdowns i think isaiah Correll maybe knocking down the receiving numbers a little bit could get in for a similar like rushing similar rushing performance with the possibility possibility of getting even more rushing touchdowns so 
I love him as a later round pick right now. I think his ADP is kicking him around the eighth, ninth round. I feel like he really should be up in the conversation where the sixth round, we're having players like Marlon Mack, who's in a three-headed competition. We don't know where it's going to end. Carry on Johnson, where we're not even sure if he's even going to start for his team week one. Tevin Coleman, who's not even the starter for his team. And then we have a bona fide starter on an offense that was competitive all throughout the year, looking to even improve. And I just don't understand why people are just completely dismissive of his existence. Yeah, and, and I might be a little biased here since I am a Jets fan, but I think this is also a classic case of the LOL Jets suck uh, theme that we, we mean, it's deserved. It is something that happens pretty much every year, but the Jets, I mean, under McCown last year did show kind of a change in direction. And I think at worst, their offense will be just as good as it was last year. I'm, I'm hoping that it is Sam Darnold under center. He's been looking really good in camp, so we'll see how preseason plays out. But the great thing is, even if he isn't there, we have Josh McCown, and we saw what he did last year. Uh, or we'll have Teddy Bridgewater. So I, I think the offense will be competent, and they will be able to move the ball. Uh, and so I do agree that people, you know, are really pissed that they got burned by Crowell last year because they spent, like, well, like a third-round draft pick on him. So there's, like, a lot of hate, and I think people are just hating on the Jets too much. And I, and I, and one of the points that people bring up that I actually agree with is the Jets' offensive line is pretty bad, one of the worst in the league. Um, and right now, too, I know, like, Kelvin Beecham, who's one of our best players on the line, is uh, banged up at the moment. So those are all things to look into, and you can, under- you can you know, expect some struggles due to the line. But c- with Elijah McGuire hurt, Bilal Powell has been on the Jets for, what, like eight years now? It feels like he's been there forever, and he's nothing more than a third down back. He has never been given the opportunity to do anything more than a third down back. So this is someone who's pretty much guaranteed to get every, uh, you know, get first and second and still be on some third rounds, and he's going as late as the eighth or the ninth round. That's that's crazy. Uh, right now on my draft board, I think I have him at 25th overall, which is right out like the very first uh, running back three. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's a tail end running back two. And like you said, around that sixth round or so is where he deserves to go. That's where you're trying to take a guy that, if your running back goes down, you'll feel okay putting him in your lineup as your RB2, or you know you have to flex him this week. Like you said, the guys that I have in my head too, Carryon Johnson, Royce Freeman, Rashad Penny, uh, Mar- uh, Mark Ingram, Marlon Mack, Ronald Jones, Marshawn Lynch. And, and some of those guys I like, if we see in preseason that they're going to get a heavy load, like if Lynch is going to, you know, if Doug Martin just kind of kind of spell him from time to time, Lynch could become a great value. If we see Carryon Johnson's doing really great in the preseason and pass protecting and doing everything, maybe he could move up or move ahead of him. But these other guys, they have so much question marks. And for someone who's guaranteed so many carries, I, I, I can't really understand all the hate for it. And he, do, and he does definitely belong in that, you know, six, seventh round range. And I think even the craziest thing that I feel like people don't realize is like, all right, yeah, it's like, yeah, Isaiah Correll did burn us last year. We all remember that because I was really high on him going forward in last year, too. But the Browns were an 0-16 team. Everyone is going to stink for an 0-16 team. I think the only exception that we had was a few, was like back when the Lions did it with Calvin Johnson, and he's like a Hall of Fame talent. So when you're on an 0-16 team, you're going to be like completely trash. Even last year, look at his numbers. The man finished with like 850 rushing yards when the Browns were probably behind in like the majority of their game. So even when they did not have a positive game script in order to allow him to run the ball – he was still like 150 yards shy of getting 1,000 yards rushing. You put him on the Jets, I feel like he's guaranteed to get 1,000 yards rushing. So you're telling me I can get 1,000 yards back, possibly in the eighth round, 
that's just ridiculous. So I am glad that more reports are going to come out talking about he's going to be a prominent role. So people just don't forget about his existence and just put the jets like in a corner, like they don't matter. But then at the same, at the same time, also going to be sad is once people start figuring it out, then I won't be able to get him around anymore and just be selfish about it. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, he, he's all part of that whole, and, and right now there's not like there's many players, but the jets that are being drafted are, are being a little bit undervalued. Uh, I think, and I guess people might be worried about Robbie Anderson getting suspended a little bit, but Robbie Anderson is definitely a deep ball threat who scores those big touchdowns. And when you're looking for that boom bust wide receiver three that you need to plug in or, you know, that one week, you're like, I need all my Hail Mary options. I think he'll continue to do what we saw last year. And he's going a little bit later than I think he should, as is Crowell. So, uh, you know, the Jets offense, I don't think is going to be as horrible as people are, are making out to be. And we're even hearing good things about, about Chris Herndon. And, uh, you know, if, if he turns out to be something, uh, you know, the Jets offense will, you know, they'll have a, some wide receiving options. They'll have a tight end they can rely on. They'll have Crowell and Bilal Powell in the backfield um, to combine with. So uh, they'll be a team that I'm looking to see the chemistry uh, throughout preseason who's a starter. And maybe some of those guys can be fantasy relevant. All right, then. Thanks for the input, John. And that wraps up today's show. Next time, we're probably going to be taking a look at some of our thoughts and opinions after seeing the week one preseason action and moving forward, see if that's going to affect some of the upcoming ADPs. But until that time, keep in mind that you can always check out our website at, at www.fantasyfootballshrinks.com. And keep in mind to always check out our YouTube page to see what other additional content that we have on there. And we will catch you guys at our next therapy session.